Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our new Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church. Join with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and today, special guest and author, Donna Van Leer. Welcome, friends. Hi, Mo. Hi, Mo. We are going to continue to dive into our current uh, sermon series, The Big Reveal, which is a study on the book of Revelation. And uh, we're going to tie that into some current events, some things that are happening around the world. And obviously, it seems like doing this study now is timely. And so I know we have uh, a lot of thoughts. We have a lot of things happening, and we're going to dive into those today. If you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's podcast, we'll ask that you do that. Just go search Conduit Deeper Podcast, and we're going to try to do these in succession each week um, following our teaching podcast that comes out on Mondays. We will be releasing these on Wednesdays. And so Please leave a comment, like uh, each podcast, leave a review, whatever you have to do to help us get the word out about this. We are super excited just to have the opportunity and another outlet, especially for those teaching on Sundays, uh, to share just a little bit more of those items, those things that maybe you couldn't get to in a sermon. Yeah, I mean, I mean, how many times have I said, oh, wow, this is really fascinating, but we don't have time for it right now. Uh, and then so we just never get to it. So this has been huge for me because it. I mean, last Sunday we were like, oh, the seven angels of the seven churches. Is that like, what is that? Like, that seems like it happens every week. And with a book as important as what I believe Revelation is, uh, I felt like this is one that we desperately needed to have uh, another outlet for those who wanted to, uh, to go deeper. You know, not everybody does. Um, it's funny. People say, oh, no, no, go longer, go longer until you go longer. And they're like, man, <laughs> <laughs> like, bad idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they always say that the, one of the best ways to get invited back as a speaker is to to go short. <laughs> like, that was awesome. Yeah, it's because it was 20 minutes. That's why. But but that's a Donna actually is with us today as well. Uh, a little trivia of the uh, podcast episodes from the last 365 days. Donna teaching back in February was like number one or number two of the whole year. So on the one hand, that's like makes me like super insecure. And then on the other hand, I'm like, well, you know, dead gum people like what she has to say. Maybe so, we should bring her back. Right. Give the people what they want. And right. So uh, Donna, for those that don't know you, you're an author, you're a mother, you're a wife, uh, a thinker. Can you tell us a little bit about like um, like the book you just released? And you've you know, obviously you've written more than one, but tell us a little bit about that and, and where God has you in your ministry right now. Sure. The the book that came out in March is called The Time of Jacob's Trouble, and that's actually taken from the book of Jeremiah. And I actually wrote it. I felt like the Lord deposited that idea into my heart a few years ago. When I was a child growing up, and I know Mo, you, and Darren both probably heard these same messages from your pastor or visiting pastor, and they would say things like, Jesus is coming again. 
or Christ is returning. Uh And it was never in a scary or foreboding type of way. It was just, you know, woven into the heart of their message. People were looking forward to the return of Christ. But then as I became an adult and I would sit in service after service, I realized at some point an epiphany came upon me several years ago. And I was sitting in a church service and I thought, I think I've heard this same message 25 times in my life. But I would have to check my spirit each week and say, okay, somebody here has not heard this. Right. But it would happen week after week, and I, I would keep thinking that. And then it dawned on me, and I thought, you know, a message that I have not heard in decades, not years, but decades, is the return of Christ where a pastor would just stand up and talk about the return of Christ or weave it into his message that Jesus is returning. And no pastor would ever talk about the book of Revelation except for the letters to the seven churches. So I really feel that God gave me the idea to write a book that would be part narrative, be part fiction. I really wanted to use it like Jesus spoke in parables. I wanted to reach millennials. I wanted to reach Generation Z who may not have heard the message that yes, Jesus is returning. He's coming back. So I wanted to write that in a fiction way, but the last third of the book, I wanted to go into the Bible and show people specifically about what they just read. I didn't want them to read just a novel and think, oh, that's great science fiction or whatever. I wanted them to know this is actually from scripture. Jesus actually called it the end of the age. And he gave us signs about uh, what to look for in the time prior to his coming. So that that's why I wrote the book. Which, I mean, you know, I've been a pastor 10 years and I've referred, you know, to to Jesus' return. In fact, actually, I've taught through Revelation before. Mm But over a 10-year span, you can have an entire generation of young people that literally have no idea what you're talking about right. if they weren't talking about it already. Right. And if they're not reading the Word, right. they really don't know. They right. have no idea what you're talking about. And so, Mo, you actually, so Mo, you grew up, can we say independent fundamentalist Baptist church without being too embarrassing? Or is it? That's no, not that's, right? that's, that's my background. Right. I grew up independent, fundamental Baptist church, KJV only, 1611. <laughs> and so my, my, uh, view or understanding of Jesus return basically was sculpted around I don't, some of you church kids might remember these, but they were called chick tracks. I don't know if you remember. They were little, no. these little. Donna, you don't remember Chick Tracks? Chick? Chick Tracks. It was the guy's last name. He was like an artist. Oh, no. But made himself also kind of a, a theologian. Uh, but they were these little comic books that would describe uh, the rapture, Christ returning, Judgment Day. Uh-huh. And, and I know, can tell by your voice it was all doom and gloom, Doom right? and <laughs> gloom. Yeah, fear uh, would lead me to uh, to understand kind of what this whole thing was about. And so, so yeah, it was definitely fear-driven, not necessarily hopeful, but mm-hmm. more fear and, and kind of shame or guilt into, uh, you know, being ready for Judgment Day. Right. And right. Yeah. So that was that was kind of the background that I grew up with. Right. Yeah. And by the way, you can still order a Chick Track. I'm, I'm I used checking. to collect them like baseball cards. <laughs> you can switch them out like a Jose Absolutely. Canseco. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm just looking online. You can go to the uh, you can go to the Amazon right now and order you some <laughs> Chick Tracks. There. These definitely. I'm sorry. They're pamphlets. Uh, 
these were exciting when I was a kid and terrifying. And yeah, all of them ended with like some uh, wretched uh, Skeletor looking oh. with apocalyptic yes from the flames of hell and um, you know they were full of scripture they were full of yeah, old okay, testament sure, full of I'm new testament scripture them, yeah, yeah. yeah you know the, i mean it was full of scripture but in in a lot of ways perhaps <laughs> taken out of context or you know just just had this this thread of fear behind it yeah. as the motivation and that's why a lot of people don't read Revelation. Why many church people scared. have not read it? Right, yeah. they're scared of it. They don't know what it, they don't know that it's our blessed hope. What the Bible calls yeah, right. the blessed hope. And I guess one question that I would have for you guys even is, you know, I, I feel like in the '80s and the '90s there were a lot of maybe messages about the return of Christ or, or the rapture leading into the new millennium, right, in the year mm-hmm. 2000. Mm-hmm. But it feels like there was this decade or decade and a half in the early 2000s, like you said, where it just wasn't talked about anymore. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that was? What what cultural shift happened to where it wasn't quote unquote relevant to discuss or teach? I mean, Donna, I don't know what your opinion is. And by the way, this is one hundred percent Darren opinion. There's no money in it. Mm. I mean, if if um, a shift happened uh, inside of evangelicalism uh, that we called seeker sensitive, and mm. seeker sensitive meant. Uh, which is actually a good thing. I was like, oh, good. We want to be sensitive to those who are seeking Jesus. Um, uh, the, the dilemma with that is that uh, what we then took into them was, well, anything that might cause them to be scared or to be offended or to be uh, uh, whatever, then we just sort of washed it out. And that's a broad and general sweeping statement. But I remember I used to tell my rock bands that worst place to stand on a tennis court is in the middle because that's where the ball bounces you got to take a position front Mm -hmm. or back but do something otherwise you're going to lose the game and so i think that's a part of it it was it wasn't as seeker sensitive now i think in hindsight that was what a bunch of pencil pushing clipboard you know church consultant goobs would have said i actually (laughs) think that it, it was something that would draw people in. It drew us in. Like, it, I want to know more about this. Jesus is coming back. Like, I want to know more about that, if, mm-hmm. if that's important to me, even though it might not show up in a survey or a, a Lifeway research poll or whatever. I think that was it. But I don't I mean, Donna, what, what would you take me? This is all opinions, of course. Right. And I would totally agree with you. Yes, there's no money in it. Um, and the, what we were just talking about is that it, it is viewed as being scary, And I even know a woman, uh, she's in her 60s, her husband is in ministry, and we were talking about it one day, the return of Christ, and she said, oh, I don't want to hear anything about that scary stuff. Mm, Wow. And so I think that is a big part of the church today, is they do view it um, through the lens of fear. And yeah, there's there's no money in it for a pastor to talk about that when you can be talking about you know, more gentle things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your best life now, right? I mean, it's, right, your best uh, life. <laughs> which, ironically, Revelation is your best life. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, that's actually what Joel's talking about. Ultimately, maybe we don't get it this side of heaven, but if you cross-reference what he promises in that book with Revelation 22, it's like, that actually is going to happen. Right. And it is a hopeful book. And I, and I look at that, going back to what we just went through, Revelation 1, we just went through chapter 1, verses 9, 8, 9, uh, you know, all the way up until the end of uh, verse 20. And, and seeing Jesus like this was mm-hmm. 
Like that's super hopeful. Uh, one, one of the things I shared on Sunday was that, you know, the time when John wrote this, I mean, he was sandwiched in between like Domitian and Nero and Nerva. Mm-hmm. I mean, you literally could just go all the way back, Augustus. And every one of these uh, Caesars and emperors before and after were horrible. Even you go back to Babylon, you go back you know, to, to, to uh, the Persian Empire. And it was like John just needed someone to, to remind him that before any of that, Jesus said, I was the first. Mm-hmm. I was there before that. And I'll be there long after this is over. And, you know, it felt really wild for us to be in Israel. And I paid a few bucks and we walked around the ruins of a Caesar who used to kill Christians. Like, I, we're Christians and I just paid a few bucks to walk on his grave. Mm. Like the people that, so, point being, Jesus is last. And that's important because right now there's a whole bunch of us looking in America at our political choices, we got Trump or we got Biden, mm-hmm. you know, long before Trump, long after Biden, long before whatever, Jesus was there. Jesus will be there long after. And that's true if you're in Turkey with Erdogan, you know, it's true mm-hmm. Z in China. Like th- that's the American version of this gets scary because I get so myopic with what it is. But if I'm in a place where I'm literally experiencing persecution and desperation, you know, what we experienced in Nepal was this is actually good news. Because our president, our communist government, will one day bow to Jesus. Mm. And without revelation, that really, I don't get that promise. Mm-hmm. And if I make it all allegory, I don't get the hope. It makes Mm-mm. it a great story, but there's no hope in it. And when you talk about persecution, Darren, you brought that up. It reminded me that John was imprisoned on Patmos. But his persecutors couldn't imprison the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was still working. Wow, say that again, Donna. (laughs) Well, although he was imprisoned on Patmos, his persecutors couldn't imprison the Holy Spirit. So no matter where anybody is today, under what form of persecution you may be in today no one can imprison the holy spirit within you wow as christians we have to remember who is inside of us and the power that he has and look in our world right now i mean mo and i before you came here he and i are having this conversation of like you you spend five minutes on twitter and it's like i I don't even you know are we going to be imprisoned again in our own country Mm -hmm. are we going to be shutting down this or that and and, and the short answer is, by the way, I don't think so. Uh, at least not in America, anyway. <laughs> in America, you shut us down once, shame on me. Says you shut us down again, that's shame on you. Like I don't think that's going to happen again. But even if it did, the Holy Spirit is not what is imprisoned here. And that's what I loved in verse 12. John said, I was in the Spirit. And I know a lot of commentators say, on the Lord's Day, whether that means... It was Sunday, or it's the day of the Lord, or the, those are all great things to talk about. But the, the, then you miss the part that oh, he was in the spirit. Right, exactly. The Holy Spirit was not in prison. Mm-mm. He was on Patmos, but he was in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Donna, do you have any opinions, by the way, as to whether or not that was the day of the Lord, or whether that was Saturday or Sunday, or any thoughts on that at all? Well, I mean, I've heard before and read before that if it was the Lord's Day, it would have said the first day of the week. Mm. And it didn't say that. It said the Lord's Day. And usually when you hear that phrase, the Lord's Day, the day of the Lord, it is of 
uh, in some sort of judgment. He's coming back in judgment. But there's that word judgment. But yeah. we have to point out in in Revelation, there has to be a judgment for sin. Yes. There has to be. I likened this uh, a little while ago to a parent. If a parent lets his kids get away with everything, uh-huh. you want to you want to rape that girl, go ahead, rape her. You want to steal, go ahead, steal. You want to murder, go ahead and murder. Um, that's a terrible parent. That is an awful parent. So there has to be judgment on sin. God, Jesus has to come back and judge the world of sin. And I uh, had recently come across a Christian podcast hosted by a Christian woman and I didn't I didn't listen to the podcast but one of the comments on there was to her oh I love this podcast God is love he does not judge whoa and I thought have you picked up the Bible at all <laughs> begin in Genesis <laughs> chapter 3 woman they cast out of the garden Darren begin there yeah. in Genesis all the way through Revelation God judges sin so I, we can't talk about Revelation without talking about that is that's why Jesus is coming back he has to judge the world of sin he's got to make it new he's got to make it pure again yeah. and look that's you know, there's a lot of talk in our country right now about white privilege. That's a thing. That's a, a conversation that's happening, and it is a, it's a worthwhile conversation to have. But there's this other thing called Western privilege that uh, most of my friends who would don't like the idea of God being a God of judgment have never had a mother taken off to prison for mm-hmm. her faith. They have never had a father beaten and uh, scourged in public. They've never had a a father whose head was sliced off by an ISIS Mm. regime on national television. So it's easy for me to say, oh, God's a God of love, not a God of judgment. Mm -hmm. But if I'm listening over in Nepal or India or Pakistan, I'm like, well, what kind of a God is that? If there's no judgment for the sin of the world, then where does that leave me? Mm When they read, we'll get to that point, the, the voices from uh, the martyrs crying out from under the throne, how long, O oh Lord, before you avenge us. Mm-hmm. They read that differently in yes. Pakistan than right. I read that in Pittsburgh. Right. right. It gives um, them great comfort. Yes. It, the book of Revelation is comfort for those in Iran or in China or Pakistan. Yeah. It gives them comfort because they know Jesus is coming back. Right. He's coming back to avenge the world of, of sin. And I might add, for those that are following along here in America right now, it's becoming more and more comforting to us as well. Mm-hmm. Like when we're watching, you know, there's this temptation to say, well, uh, well, that's not persecution because you were just, they said bad things about you, or that's not persecution just because you lost your lease mm-hmm. on this building. And, and that's, if you exist, if persecution exists on a spectrum, okay, it's all on the spectrum. So Jesus said in Matthew 24, even if they say mean and hateful things about you, he called that persecution. Right. And as this is increasing, I think that the hope that I get from this is probably the hope that John gets from this, which is something... I did not get to cover on Sunday, but that's what is our response supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like Chris Hodges is a, a I don't know him, um, but a wonderful pastor, Birmingham, Alabama. His church has done remarkable things inside of that city. And in that city, they lost their lease 
uh, from the Birmingham Public Schools because of some tweets that he liked. Mm. Yeah, I read that. Right? Didn't Mm. say it, by the way. It wasn't his speech. He was actually, because he liked speech, now he's Mm. being marginalized from it. And so, point is, that's that's persecution. But what do we do about it? Because my proclivity, like my temptation, we're scrappers, right? I want to go down to Birmingham and have some words about it. But Jesus talks about loving those who Mm. persecute you. And praying for them. Praying for Mm. them. And... So not only is Revelation a book of hope, it's super instructive. Because one thing that I noticed that John doesn't do here is he doesn't name any of these jokers by name. He doesn't make a political case for why they're idiots. He does talk about the judgment that's to come. But none of this is John doing the judgment. All of it is God doing the judgment. And that is a very hopeful doctrine for all of us. And it shows us what our role can be, ought to be, uh... And it's a role that I get wrong every day because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I want to be the judge. I want to be Holy Ghost Jr. Scoot over Jesus. I got, I got this one. I'm going to drop the gavel. But allowing him to do that is, uh, is, is part of what this book helps me with. Yeah. Uh, and it, you talked about comfort, too, how it brought John comfort. And, you know, Revelation is the only book that depicts Jesus as he is today. And we get to see him in his full majesty and glory. Wow. And that was such a mind-blowing experience for John that he ended up on his knees. He ended up bowing before. Right, right. Just dropped to his face, yeah. Jesus. And our culture has made Jesus this uh, buddy. He's a buddy. He's kind of a milk toast uh-huh. in much of society. And I heard one pastor talking about... Um, a man told him that Jesus was in his bathroom that morning. And the pastor said, well, where was Jesus? And he said, well, he was standing right next to me as I was shaving. And he said, buddy, that wasn't Jesus. Because <laughs> if we are truly in the presence of Jesus, we are down on our knees with John. Yeah. Seeing him for who he is and what he has done. And we know who we are yeah. at that point. We know who we are and who he is, but our culture has not, has really reduced Jesus. But here we see him in Revelation one for who he is today and where he is next to the, next to the father. And that's powerful. That is so powerful. When we were reading this past week, um, one of the things, the questions that has come up were these seven Angels, Mo, do you see where that verse is? You have, I don't know if you've got your Bible in front of you. I can't see from over here, but the, the seven letters for the seven angels. Would you read that, Mo, if, if, as soon as you find it? I can't remember which verse it is. So, yeah, verse 19, it's in red letters, by the way. It says, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. In verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand. And of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And the question is, the seven angels, does that mean every church gets its own angel? Like that we have 
Because I know that Mo wants that angel to get down to the Williamson County Codes Department if we have one. <laughs> yeah, I need that. I need that angel to, to get busy, <laughs> lead the way as we uh, work on our expansion project here with the county. <laughs> which I mean, it's kind of funny. Uh, which looks kind of funny, kind of not funny. Uh, you know, I was thinking of that. Like the uh, Michael, the archangel, had a message, but I was resisted for seventy mm-hmm. days. Like, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, our angel's been resisted at the Williamson County Codes Department for like nine hundred and fifty <laughs> days. But, right. Uh, but I, I mean, what do you think, Donna? Is it is that a real angel? Does every church get its own? I've heard it both ways. Um, the the word there actually means sent one, or messenger. So I've heard it both that every every church gets its own angel, which is a really cool thought. Yeah, I, that, lo- I love that idea. That every church has its own angel. Um, I've also heard it that it actually is a messenger. It's a messenger who brought the letters to the churches. Either way, it's awesome because the message of Jesus got out to these churches. Right. I, one of the uh, one of my old favorite Bible teachers, uh, this guy named John Corson, he probably would hate it that I called him old. Um, but he says that a lot of times when it looks like something could be one or the other in Scripture, because I like to think that maybe it's both. Mm-hmm. Not that it's false doctrine, but sometimes it's like there's an idea there that, in the same way that these four, uh, these seven letters, represent seven literal churches, they also represent seven prophetic churches. And, right. Um, but that said, I mean, you look at it that, that that word messenger, that that exact word in Matthew one verse ten was used to refer to John the Baptist mm-hmm. as a messenger. Um, and there's a question of whether or not an angel, you know. So write this to these letters to these churches. So is is, uh, whoever going to stand there and then read this to an angel that they didn't know? Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other hand, there's a, you know, the very verse one is Jesus said to the angel and the angel said to John and then John said to us and to the messenger. So, you know, I I don't know what it is either. I don't. And here's the, uh, none of us do. Uh, I love the idea that it's both. And I think that there are other passages of Scripture that do allude to the fact that, I mean, angels are not just sitting around doing nothing. Right. Right. They're not just hanging out and waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a, a present day ministry for angels that I think we don't fully appreciate. I, I'm speaking for me now. I don't fully appreciate, but I do take comfort. Yeah. And I think there's like 77 uses of angels in Revelation. So just the supernatural impact of, of that thought wow. in, in this book. I mean, it's such a supernatural book. I mean, it's really mind-blowing when you when you read it. And we're told, read it aloud. Yeah, right. You know, read it aloud when you're going through, through it at home. Just read it aloud to yourself. Read it aloud to your family. Our family actually read it aloud one time when we were on a camping trip. And I know was it at night with a campfire? Well, it was at I, night, but I, I needed know, to be with a campfire. I know what you're thinking is, wow, those Van Leers really know how to rock a camping trip, reading Revelation out loud to one another. <laughs> I kind of was thinking that, yeah. <laughs> but you know, our kids were younger then, and they really enjoyed it. They weren't afraid of it at all. It was just an awesome experience for them. So read it aloud because the blessing comes. Yeah. Well, Donna, one of the things that I wanted to ask you while you're here. Uh, in the time that we have today, you have been a student of what's going on in the world and in the culture. And I have relied heavily on uh, just listening to other interviews that you've done, 
obviously to your own teaching gift to our church family. What, what are some things that you are seeing? We asked this question of Grady last week. What, what are things that you're seeing right now that maybe would lead us to believe that the return of Jesus uh, might be sooner than we than we think? Right. Closer today than yesterday. That's right. for sure. Yeah. Well, the word that always comes to mind is convergence. Because when we read through Matthew 24 or Mark 13 or Luke 21, and Jesus is telling his apostles, because they ask him, well, what are the signs? What do we look for about the end of the age and, and for your return? What are we supposed to be looking for? And so Jesus talks about all of them. And in Luke 21, he says, when you begin to see all these things happen, lift up your heads, look up, your mm. redemption is near. And we are that generation that is seeing all these things. That's an important distinction, by the way, mm -hmm. because an argument could be made coming out of World War II. An argument probably was made coming out of World War II. An argument could have been made in the Civil War and probably was. But none of those arguments could, could actually say all these things. Right. All those things weren't happening at the time. Israel was not a nation no. in the Civil War. No, no, it wasn't. No, and that's key. And Grady talked about that last week, Israel being a nation again. And, you know, First Timothy uh, 4.1 talks about falling away from the faith. In, in those days, people will fall away from the faith. And it's interesting because they don't talk about faith in general. It's not faith in Muhammad. It's not faith in Buddha. They were talking about the, the faith, faith in Jesus Christ, and people will fall away from the faith. And you know, Mo and Darren, when we were young, if if people got disgruntled with church, they left church. You never heard from them again. They just left the church. Right. But now, if you want to leave church, if you want to leave the faith, you do that in front of several hundred or thousands of your closest followers on social media. Right. You're trying to bring others with you. You're like an, an not just an atheist, like an anti-theist. Yes. I'm an evangelism for leaving my faith. Right. I I exactly. And they call that deconstructing yeah. your faith now. Um, but... My parents' generation never would have seen that, but we are the generation that is seeing that falling away from the faith. And in Second Thessalonians 2.3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. He's talking about the return of Jesus. That day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. So what we're seeing in our culture wow. has to happen. I feel like we need like a sound effect. Like, bah! <laughs> because um, anyone, especially within a millennial or Gen Z or, you know, my age, right? Gen X. What are we, Gen X? What, I don't even know what I am anymore. We're X, yes. X. No, uh, speak for yourselves. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. The gray Mo. in your beard betrays you, Mo. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. The gray in his beard is like Jesus, man, like a, the white hair, but his is caused by the Williamson <laughs> County Coach Department. Jesus was caused by holiness. Uh, but we, um, that's happening everywhere mm -hmm. and 
it's I can't I mean it just happened last week a, a dear longtime dear friend of mine that I have toured with for I mean 20 years we knew each other and great guy I love him but for some reason when that happens then the idea of authenticity that I have to be myself then means I need to put this post out and whether it's on Instagram or Twitter mm -hmm. or my blog or whatever mm -hmm. it's not uh, any longer like I, I don't know it seems like everybody has or not everybody maybe but I did I sure had a faith crisis but I had it at a time where I didn't I, I didn't try to take everybody with me I mean right. I was actually married and I remember thinking this is very dangerous right now what I'm doing here I don't mm -hmm. want to drag my wife and my children with me so I didn't just go out there and just start asking questions and I remember thinking I don't want to shipwreck my faith on the questions let me find the answers and then let the chips fall where they may mm -hmm. and what I'm hearing from guys like Rob Bell uh, Brian Zahn or they'll generally say something that I find to be completely disingenuous which is well I'm just asking questions mm -hmm. which is not what you're doing at all you're making a statement but you don't have the cojones to say that I'm making a statement I'm posing it as a question and then shipwrecking everybody's faith right on the questions but you're right that's a very I mean to my knowledge never before in history for sure in our modern times that's never happened with that kind of a falling away no. on that level and technology has enabled that to spread like wildfire and that's why we're the generation that that is seeing it i listened to a podcaster deconstruct his faith and you said you didn't want to take shannon and the kids with you he actually said i took my wife and my kids mm -hmm. with me in into the waters and i was recently reading some data from pew and gallup and the public religious research institute and they estimated it will be between 26 and 42 million people raised in christian homes will disaffiliate from christianity by 2050 that's how fast the abandoning the faith is happening wow. well you talk about the falling away and i'm, I'm curious to know i mean is America one of the last beacons of the falling away, the great falling away? So, like, where are we on the spectrum of, you know, other countries, other continents, you know, that have perhaps already fallen away or are ahead of us in falling away? However you want to describe it, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, America, we, we, we live in America. So mm -hmm. we tend to read scripture through the eyes of an American. We tend to uh, associate current events and biblical prophecy through the eyes of America. Um, although America is not necessarily described in the book of Revelation. It's not at all. So, <laughs> not necessarily. It's not there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wrestle with that a little bit sometimes is yeah. you know, how does this all really play out for us that live here in America? Yeah. I can, it's interesting that you bring that up because I can remember in 2005... The Billy Graham Association, um, a guy named Dion Collins, who is just a great guy, still working for Billy Graham organization in Canada. And what they were doing was they were bringing up uh, bands like bands that I represented, Cutlass and Disciple. And, and here was their purpose for it was uh, by that point, uh, Canada was already like a post-Christian society uh, right behind Europe. 
And so they were experimenting with things that could work in Canada with the understanding that inside of 10, I vividly remember them saying this, within 10 to 15 years, America will be exactly where Canada was 10 to 15 years ago. Now, here's the thing, the bummer for it, and I, maybe they would agree or not, I don't know, maybe you should call Dion and ask him, that the stuff that we did in the 80s and the 90s uh, didn't work for the post-Christian society of Canada. Mm. Um, part of one of the ideas that they brought to America was Rock the River. I don't know if you remember that. You know, remember yeah, that? I remember that. Troy would remember that, uh, uh, Mr. Van Leer. <laughs> um, but that, the idea was, we'll, we'll make a festival and then we'll bring out a speaker and then the speaker can bring the gospels. Because in the olden days, Billy Graham would walk into an arena and preach the gospel and millions would you know, come to Jesus. When Franklin would get on the stage or Will or whatever, right in between Fly Leaf or whatever band. These are great bands that mm -hmm. love the Lord, whatever. And all the teenagers thought was bathroom break. Mm -hmm. They thought uh, merch time, whatever. The point being that whatever they were attempting there in that post-Christian society of the falling away that had already happened, that the way the tools that we had had were not going to work in, in this new uh, civilization that we find ourselves in, which I think speaks greatly to even to our modern context, even as a church uh, today. Uh, no, no opposition, none, 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 none to my mega church friends that, that are there. But, but every single one of them, um, if they're honest with themselves, uh, Mike Glenn, he said it out loud so I can quote him from Brentwood Baptist Church, says, I've prepared our church well for today, but I've not prepared it well for 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. Because in 20 years, 4,500 seat auditorium, there won't be enough money to, f to sustain that. There won't be enough mm -hmm. people to sustain it. So what... What Brentwood is doing, which he says he stole everything he's doing from John Bassanio, which I love. John was doing this back mm -hmm. in the 70s, is planting neighborhood churches that are smaller churches that can infiltrate. And by the way, that just goes back to the gospel in general. Small churches uh, spread out amongst the whole thing. So when we think about the great falling away, I think that it is primarily in a Western context because... The other thing that you see in scripture is that many will come in my name saying that I am him. And when you hear, you know, many will be deceived. When you look at Islam alone, I believe Islam is one of the religions, if not the religion that Jesus referred to. Someone coming saying, I am he mm. and will deceive many. You know, I, I was reading literally just today that 86% of people that are Hindu, uh, Buddhist, Muslim, 86% of people have never even met a Christian. Wow. That's 3 billion people. So mm -hmm. we're talking 2.8 billion. Not only have they not heard the gospel, they've never even met a Christian mm. before. So simultaneously, right, you have this great falling away. While simultaneously, I might add, I think a, an end time harvest that is mm -hmm. being born right now, the stories of coming out of Pakistan yes. and of the Middle East. Of, so when we don't see, uh, we don't see Western society maybe in scripture. What we do see is a whole bunch of uh, Jewish Billy Grahams out there preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. We see a whole bunch of people. Cause you talk about, if you've given your life to Jesus in Pakistan, you are not screwing around. You know what you're, you've given up for. And so that, those types of evangelists are unstoppable in it. And so, so I don't know, that's, I don't know if that's the answer to your question about the great falling away, whether it's mm -hmm. Western or Eastern, but it's for sure in a Western context that's yeah. happening while yeah. simultaneously globally, there is a deception of who is Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Well, false prophets are, are here as, as well, not just 
overseas. But the nuns outnumber evangelicals and Catholics here in America. They now number over 26%. And I read a recent um, claim that 50% claim to go to church or synagogue or mosque in our country, and that's down from 70%. So of that 50%, how many are Bible-believing Christians? How many of that 50%? I don't know. But you brought up an awesome point, Darren, and it's also what I see is is a prophecy that we are seeing that our that previous generations would not have understood was from Joel 2, 28 and 29. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Mm. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And we are seeing a great pouring out of the Holy Spirit in Iran. Uh, That's the fastest growing place for Christianity right now, followed um, by by China. And it's interesting, Mo, because you did bring up America. And America is not even in the top 30 of where Christianity is spreading. You can find salvation um, from other countries. Like Al Jazeera reported that 667 Muslims convert to Christianity each hour in Africa alone. Whoa, say that again. 667 convert to Christianity in Africa alone. And that's Al Jazeera. That's Al Jazeera reporting that. And... we don't have those statistics in America. Those no, aren't. We can't even get 667 Christians to sit in a church for an hour. No. Right? Let alone convert. Right. I'll do respect to my church family. I'm not that good of a preacher, whatever. But, <laughs> but those, that's an incredible thought. Right. And more Iranians have become Christians in the last two decades than in the previous 13 centuries combined. Wow. Christianity is is spreading. The message of Jesus is spreading. In 1967, there wasn't one messianic congregation in in Israel. Now there's over 130 yeah. in Israel alone. Which so next week I'm going to have Catherine Vanderbeek from Israel, and she's taught she told me all so much about that the the amount of Jesus. Christian people coming to Jesus. She mm-hmm. told us, actually, you know what? This would appreciate this because your husband works with this organization. Premier Productions had done an event uh, with probably Chris Tomlin or, or somebody in Passion, whatever, in Israel. Mm-hmm. And Catherine was talking about uh, the bus driver who was Jewish, not Messianic, Jewish. Mm-hmm. And was following along with this event, and I'm going to mess up this story, so Catherine, please correct it all when I get there next week. But here's the spoiler. The bus driver came to Christ by just following around this event, because he's like, I just kept finding life Mm. here. And the stories of Jews coming to Christ, uh, just Jews alone coming to Jesus to seeing him as their Messiah, is incredible. Um Donna, what else? I, I, we've we've got about fifteen minutes left here, and I know you've got right. Well, I so did. I, I just wanted to point out one more thing because Jesus said in Matthew twenty four, in the days prior to his coming, he said the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the entire yeah. world, and we're the generation that's seen that because when our parents were younger, if if the gospel is going to go to the other side of the world, it went with a missionary holding a Bible. Yes. And that's how it went to the other side of the world. Yeah, in a boat, and you may or may not ever see them again. (laughs) Right. And now you tweet it, 
you put it on social media, you throw up a YouTube message. It, it's spreading throughout yeah. the entire world. And Jesus said it will go around the yeah. world in the days prior to my coming. One of the things Grady said, one of the things that our friends who work in Southeast Asia have said is that one of the things that's happened with um, the, the fear that has surrounded this pandemic is they used to not be able to get people to take a Bible. Like, I, I want to give you a Bible. They don't even want a Bible. Mm -hmm. And they can't give them out fast enough now. Right. There's a hunger for that. The churches that are being born in the brick kilns of Pakistan, think about it. It's literally like a prison camp slash payday loan mm. slash a slave camp. But God, you, you know, God sends these men and women in and they start churches and they're baptizing them. They're turning to Jesus. These are Muslims coming to Christ in the middle of uh, some of the worst circumstances and they want their Bibles. We're sending, we just sent another, we're about to send another donation, but we'll send more Bibles in because the word of God, which I just, to me, I, I find it just so perfectly satanic and demonic. The uh, hatred for the Bible in our culture, mm -hmm. even just the dismissiveness and the condescension towards it from, again, our privilege. Sure. It's a privilege to get to say, well, I don't know that the book of Revelation really should be in the Bible or not. That's, mm -hmm. that's because you have time to sit around and debate about it because you are rich and mm -hmm. you're wealthy. In Pakistan, they're not sitting around debating that. They're like, is this Jesus the Messiah? This, this man in white that appeared to me in a dream mm -hmm. that I now am reading about in this, in this Bible? It, of course Satan would attack God's word, but of course, I think it was C.S. Lewis says, you don't have to defend a lion. You just let the lion out of its cage. The mm -hmm. lion takes care of itself. We just let the Bible out of its cage and right. it takes care of itself, mm -hmm. which I don't know. Maybe people at our church get tired of me talking about it, but the gospel in all of the nations, if, if, if we don't do, if, if we do revelation and all we get out of it was we had a really fun conversation about who the Antichrist might be. We completely missed the point. Right. Completely exactly. missed it. If we read this and think the time is short, the world needs to hear, mm -hmm. we've got to get busy, then we have succeeded with that. Right. Well, that's my prayer for this podcast. I actually did a podcast called Things Are Looking Up, where we talked about what our generation is seeing that previous generations didn't see. And one of the, the best emails I got was from a pastor who said, I listened to these and it emboldened me. And I, I just want to evangelize to everybody yes. and spread the word of Jesus. So if that's what these podcasts can do, praise the Lord, right? Yes. Yeah, and I yes. think that's one of the ironies of social media in general is there is so much vitriol and hate and fake news and negativity through social media that we can combat it with the truth. And I think that's when you're talking about, you know, the gospel can go around the world in a heartbeat. It's kind of incumbent upon us to do these type of things, to to give hope, to give truth, to preach the gospel in every capacity, and every medium that we have. And in keeping with that, Mo, because you're talking about technology and spreading throughout the world, that's another thing that I'm seeing 
through scripture that our generation is seeing that our parents and grandparents would not have seen was in Daniel 12. He talks about the increase of knowledge. Mm. He says in Daniel 12, four, uh, an angel tells him, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. So again, we know there's going to be an ending because right, right. the Bible speaks about that. This is this will come to an end. And it says many will go here and there to increase knowledge. And so for centuries, wow. not just decades, for centuries, people thought that meant travel. Because for the longest time, yes. they just traveled by horse. Yeah. And then the car came along and they were like, whoa, this is it. <laughs> this is the end times. We're traveling by car now. Think about what they thought with the space program. But <laughs> we literally now, with that phone in our back pockets, that has more power than all the Apollo computers combined for the Apollo space program back in the 60s sitting in my pocket sitting in your pocket and if if we want to visit the library of congress we don't have to get in an airplane and fly to dc right we can literally you're sitting there at the computer you can pull it up in seconds yeah now so that's what we're seeing and there's that passage second timothy four or three i can't remember what it talks about ever Increasing in knowledge, but never or ever increasing in information, knowledge, whatever, but never coming to a knowledge of the mm. truth. I'm mm-hmm. totally butchering that. But I feel like that's exactly what's happening here. There is so much knowledge mm. and so little truth. Right. You know, C.S. Lewis said we live in a kingdom of noise. Mm. And I don't know when he wrote that. He died in 63. So he maybe wrote that in early 60s or, or the 50s. And he was calling it a kingdom of noise. What would he think today? Wow, right. When there's so much at our fingertips. One of the things I shared on Sunday, Donna, you guys were in an RV somewhere. At, who knew? Yeah, <laughs> right. Your Clark Griswold dreams. But <laughs> uh, that when the voice of Jesus being the sound of rushing waters, mm. that... Uh, my family, we we sleep with white noise. We sleep with a fan on. We sleep with, and one of the, some of the best sleep I've ever gotten actually was in a tour bus because it's the lull mm-hmm. of the. And my point being that the rushing water it shuts out all the noise. If you mm-hmm. slept beside a stream, if you've, I remember I got to go with uh, with your with our mutual friend Dana uh, and Bob Gresh to uh, Dominican, and mm-hmm. this place was literally right by this mountain stream with this waterfall. Some of the best sleep of my life. Because I couldn't hear anything else right. but the water and the sound of Jesus's voice through his word, mm-hmm. through prayer, through being in the spirit. It drowns out the competing noises of Twitter yeah. and all of those uh, things. Because the, I, I love knowledge. I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I think that all of us, even in this room right now, are thinkers. God did not ask us to check our uh, brains at the door. Mm-hmm. He gave them to us. And I think that Satan, part of the tool of what's happening with our world right now, is then one of the best ways to defeat a brain is to literally drown it in mm. information. Mm-hmm. That one of my favorite podcasts over the years has been called Radio Lab with a guy named Jad Abunran. And you've got to be a next level nerd to even know who that is. But Jad was talking in an interview that he did yesterday on a TED Talk about the idea of his knowledge uh, of all the knowledge that he has gotten and all, you know, how do I put this differently? He was saying this, that there's so much information out there that even a guy who's a secular humanist says that the thing that I want the most is the truth. And 
what he was explaining, his idea of truth right now was, and I might be getting it wrong, I'll, maybe we'll post it in the show notes if we can figure out what show notes are, is that when two people come together, so you know, D- Darren and Mo come together, I have an opinion and you have a thing or whatever, but it actually creates something new. This is a new thing. That's what he thinks is the idea of finding truth, is now your truth and my truth mm. coming together, which sounded so brilliant, mm-hmm. except that it's completely wrong. Right. <laughs> like, because I might think some pretty dumb things, and Mo would think some really great things, but me mixing in dumb things with smart things doesn't make it a smart thing. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the idea that the, the, the truth is uh, being smothered right now in us through all of the information, it's one of the passages that Timothy again talks about, that in those days they'll gather around all these teachers that will yes. tell them what they want to hear. Yeah, right. And I do that, you do that, we all do that with our iPhones again. Mm-hmm. I've got multiple podcasts, multiple teachers. And so whatever I want to hear, I can, I, not only just with my phone, I can do it with my Twitter feed. I can do mm-hmm. it with my Facebook feed. I can silence the voices I don't want. I can amplify the voices I do want, mm-hmm. not based on truth, but on what I like and I, you know, never before in history has that ever been possible to You're be right. able to gather teachers. Or, can you imagine in those days, Paul, okay, all you teachers come around, everybody sit in a circle and now I want you all to teach me. That's just not how it worked yeah, back then, right. but it does work that way. Right. And we're the generation that's seeing that. Right we're the generation. Yes. Right, right here in front of us. We're seeing it all right. play out. And when you talk about Jesus saying his voice was like rushing waters and the Bible says that his sheep hear his voice. And the only way to hear his voice mm. is to get into his word and hear his word as, as, as you read through it and you yes. study it and, and pray through it. So I encourage everyone to get off of social media, <laughs> you know, take a break from that because it yes. can pull your soul down. Down anyway, but you mentioned Timothy, and we're, we're talking about the characteristics of the last days. And something else that our generation is seeing is that uh, Paul was warning Timothy about this, about um, characteristics of the last days. And he says, "But mark this: there will be terrible times in the last days." And he goes through this list. Is this Second Timothy three? Second, yes. Yes, Second yep. Timothy three, beginning in, in verse one. But he goes through a list. You know, you're going to be abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. He says you're going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, lovers of money, and if you read through those, we can apply all those characteristics to social media. Every single one. You know, one of the ones that he's, he words in there, that's funny that you bring that up because I saw this this morning and thought, boy, that sounds familiar to me. There was a Christian Post article this morning that a survey that was just released January uh, this year that 2,000 people that were surveyed that uh, a thousand of them contacted by telephone, whatever. Here's what it says. Uh, Only 39% of those that responded said that human life is sacred. It says that basically they're saying over 60% of Americans think that could not agree with the statement that human life is Mm. sacred. Listen to what Paul says in part of that list in 2 Timothy 3. He says that... uh, uh, they will be boastful. So this is verses one through three. They'll be boastful, proud, everything that you were saying. They'll be disobedient to their parents, right? And golly, have we seen that? Mm. But listen, they will consider nothing sacred, mm. unloving, unforgiving, nothing. If human life can't be considered sacred, 60% said that human life isn't even sacred. 
uh, that's brand new in our culture, to my knowledge. I mean, it seems to fly in the face of everything we would know, but it does seem if that's part of the idea of lovers of self, Mm. unforgiving, slander others, no self-control, cruel, hate what is good. You could cross-reference that with much of the violence that we've seen Mm. uh, in in all of our uh, culture. And, you know, Paul uses the words there, without love, will be without love. And the word love there isn't agape. Mm. It's astorgos. Okay. Dig into that. That's good. Yeah. And it it actually... um, means there's no natural affection. And so when you think about that, wow. Yeah, when you think about that, what comes to mind for me, abortion comes to mind. Yes. Because there is no uh natural affection and also means the opposite of to cherish. Whew. You're not cherishing that child. And it's like in the days of judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it's it's interesting, too, is that Jesus said in Matthew 24 that lawlessness will increase. And we think about lawlessness, we often think of riots, we think of violence in the street. But the word lawlessness actually means a total disregard of God's authority in your life. Hmm. And so abortion is lawlessness. Yeah, it is. And we could go, we could, we could sit here the rest of the day talking about lawlessness. And Jesus said in the time prior to his coming that lawlessness will increase. I got a text today from a friend and she said, it seems like every day I woke up and there's been a new load of crazy that's dropped on our country. <laughs> but it feels Somebody that way. Somebody backed up the crazy truck and right? keeps dumping it. It feels that way because lawlessness is increasing. And although that can be disheartening, we read in the word that these things must happen and i would say that what we have to be able to agree to because he says the love of many will grow cold and when i don't know maybe this is what you and i were experiencing mo earlier today we're talking about twitter because what i want to say is i just give up i don't even know anymore this is none of this is working i don't i just want to go hide that feels to me like the slippery slope of cold love Mm of I, I can't do anything it doesn't matter it's mm-hmm. not going to change anything so I'm just not going to do anything or worse in fact there was a prophecy uh, and I use that word extremely loosely uh, that was floating around today I forwarded it to both you guys and when the prophecy includes getting AR ammunition and by the way I'm a gun owner so I'm not so I'm not anti-gun I'm not any of that don't you know so save your emails but if the prophecy involves you got to go get guns and you got to store up for yourself and whatever, if that's if it's a fear-based thing, mm. that's the love of many growing cold. Yeah. That's not that's the exact opposite of what Jesus would say. Mm. And so when I look at that, I think the love of many growing cold for us, we can't let that happen. When we see lawlessness, it's maddening. Like I'm watching what's happening just like everybody else is, and it's frustrating. I feel helpless. I don't know what to do. And so the answer most times is, well, then I just won't do anything. But man, Jesus, in those parables, Matthew 24, 25, 26, he talks about, hey, use, take great risks with the talents that I have given mm-hmm. you, right? Be radically generous with the provision that I have given you. Like Every one of those parables, 
the Holy Spirit. Uh, be full of the Holy Spirit that I have placed inside of you. If we're looking for what do we do now, how then should we then live? We live like Jesus said to live, full of the Holy Spirit, radical generosity, right? Taking giant risks with the talents that he's given us, writing books, doing podcasts, Mm -hmm. preaching sermons, writing songs, being that. Because he is going to return in one of the greatest possible things that we could find ourselves doing is to be found doing what he asked us to do. Mm. And so when I look at Revelation 1 and I go right back to kind of this is back where we started, the picture of who Jesus is, the greatness of of who he is. I shared it on Sunday. I'll, I'll maybe, again, if we can figure out what a show note is, we'll put it in there. Uh, the quote from, uh, from Tozier that our greatest idolatry is that our picture, our image, our understanding of God is just too small. That one of the greatest things the church can do, our greatest job, is to elevate the picture and the idea of who God is to make it worthy, once again, of who he actually mm-hmm. is. So that whatever happens this side of heaven he is the first he is the last Mm -hmm. he is the alpha he is the omega he holds all of it in his hands our churches are in his hands he is in the midst of that we're going to talk about that in chapters two and three jesus where is jesus he's in church he is in to church he is in among the churches and I love that idea of that he uses candlesticks. Of course, there's a picture of menorah. There's a picture of the temple. Mm-hmm. But there's also a picture of we are a light. Do not put your light under a bushel. Our church is a light. Every church has that opportunity to be a light in, in this world. Donna, do you have any last words for us of encouragement, of admonition, funny joke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think of, of John when he was bowing there, uh, trembling in fear at the feet of Jesus. And I feel that many people are in that situation today, not at the feet of Jesus, but they are trembling at fear of man, of, of the unknown, of what's happening. But just remember that Jesus reached out his hand and he touched John and he said, do not be afraid. And I feel that's his message to many people today listening is do not be afraid and keep in mind that even though John was in prison, the Holy Spirit was not. And each one of us has the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And we are supposed to be salt and we are supposed to be light in a world that seems like it is on the crazy train. But we are still the world's best hope because we offer them Jesus. Yeah. Mo, for someone listening to this right now, wants to find out more information about the church, about what's happening with the mission, what, what, how, how can they get a hold of us? The easiest, best way is our website, www.conduitchurch.com. You can also visit us at conduitmission.org. There's a lot of information there about all the different things that we're doing across the globe um, and here in Nashville, Tennessee. You can find us on Twitter at both Conduit Church and Conduit Mission, as well as Facebook. And of course, um, you're listening to the podcast, so you know how to find that. And so, uh, yeah, all the information is there, and we're just glad that you chose to be a part of our community. Yeah, we appreciate y'all for listening. Please spread this, share it, uh, forward it to your friends. If the Lord is putting it on your heart to um, 
maybe to seek a deeper relationship with him. You've heard some of these words and think, man, the time is near the time. What do I do about that? You know, I would encourage you first to reach out to us. You could do that at info at conduitchurch.com. And I would encourage you right where you are, uh, pray, like literally fall on your knees and pray, acknowledge the God of the universe, that he is God. You are not that he is uh, the one revelation one tells us that freed you from your sins and that because of that work that you don't have to stay on your face that Jesus touched John and then lifted him back up because John no longer was a a worm that had to be stepped on John was a brother a fellow co-heir with Christ and the hopefulness of this book is that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and to judge the dead, and that for us who are in Christ, that judgment was taken and absorbed by Jesus so that by receiving that finished work of the cross, you and I, we're going to get to Revelation 22 eventually. Spoiler alert, those of us who are in Christ will rule and reign with him forever. He is the first and the last. So I encourage you to pray for Christ to come into you, to repent of your sins, to change your mind, and to follow him. And then don't chicken out just right where you are. Just email us, info at conduitchurch.com, and we will get back to you. Someone will, and we'll, and we'll pray with you. And for those of you that are listening, thank you. This is a great uh, for us to get to share the gospel. I pray that these words... Uh, land in your heart and that they don't scare you, but they encourage you and that they don't just get you more intelligent about anything, but they actually inspire you to follow the Holy Spirit. So thank you for that. And we, if we don't see you Sunday at conduitchurch.com, uh, <laughs> well, you can watch us online, conduitchurch.com. If we don't see you locally, know that we love you. We're praying for you. And we look forward to actually getting to see uh, and communicate with you next week at the Conduit Deeper podcast.